Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hi. You know that movie you always wanted to see, but you didn't for whatever reason? Well, I call those black hole films. Everyone has them, and this podcast aims to do something about that. I'm Jeremy Lalonde, and every episode I'll be joined by one or more guests to watch a film that at least someone in that group hasn't seen. We'll talk about our expectations of it before it, and then our thoughts after it. This is episode 64, and I'm joined by Abigail Winter, who you might have seen on TV shows like Between, or more recently, Mary Kills People. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. So we're sitting down to watch Pulp Fiction. I'm Jeremy. I've seen this movie so many times. I'm Abio. I've not seen it any times. No. So I don't even know where to start. Um, have you seen other Tarantino movies? If you haven't, that's fine too. No. That's okay. No, that's totally fine. Okay. Because I'd be more surprised if, because this is kind of the seminal. Like the ter- Tarantino. I think so anyway. Yeah. I think, I mean, we can get into this after, although you won't have much context. But I, I find like. After, like, this is his most original work, mm-hmm. and probably his best. Although I'd say his first three films are his best films, and then he, I found anyway, he just kind of got derivative. Okay. Um, although it's very entertaining still. Yes. But uh, definitely things shifted in a, in, a, in a weird way, which we can talk about after. Okay. Uh, so. Have you never had an interest in seeing the movie, or is it just one of like how to? Because you're also like younger than I am. So when I grew up, you know, this came out in '94. I was you know 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. So I was just getting into you know gritty indie film in a real way when this yeah. landed on my lap, and I was like, holy shit, what is this? Yeah. So there's probably a point in my life where I watch this film at least once a week. Amazing. And I actually I had this movie memorized when I was in college. Where a friend and I went on a road trip, and we literally did the entire movie. Wow, that that my version of that is Juno. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That I could quote like that, but yes. Okay, I have always had it on my list of films that I feel I should diligently watch. Great. Um, and then I always kind of go through my list when I sit down, and I've I look at it, and I'm I kind of go. Mm. Not in the mood today, yep. but I don't even know what I'm not in the mood for. And it's well, it, it, and that's a funny because I do the exact same thing where it's like I don't think I'm in the mood to watch this movie, which is such a an ignorant way to think about movies. I'm like I don't know what this movie is. Yeah, you're also thinking about the expectation of what kind of movie that is. Yeah, like I think I recently uh, sat down to watch A Bridge Over the River Kwai. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen. Have you seen it? No. Uh, and just going, oh, I don't want to watch a boring. Yeah. This movie. And then put it in. I'm like, this isn't completely engaging. I feel like such a shit for assuming this movie yeah. was a certain way. And how, how... And so I deserve not enjoying it previously. Yeah. Yeah. And I also remember distinctly my mom. I probably was really young. But she started watching... I remember she went to the movies to see this. And... She left the theater because she couldn't stand watching it anymore. Because she hated the movie? Or she just... hated the movie. Oh, wow. And so I have this weird association, even though I don't think I'll hate the movie, that with someone leaving the movie theater. Oh, interesting. But we have very vastly different tastes. Interesting. So what do you know about the movie? I know that it's called Pulp Fiction. <laughs> That's it? I know that John Travolta's in it. Yes. 
I know that uh, that uh, that's that's about it. That's about it. And this was like a huge comeback for John Travolta because yeah. he had kind of dipped off the radar right for quite a while. And this is what Tarantino was famous for, especially early on in his career. Although he still does it, is reviving the uh, the careers of kind of bizarre choices in actors. Huh. And in this one, it was it was definitely Travolta. Right. Uh, and this is also probably the film that put Samuel Jackson on the map. Okay. Uh, in, in a really, really huge way. Okay. Although yeah. he was in a whole bunch of stuff around this time, but I think this is the one that really kind of ticked him off. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, I don't okay. want to say too much then, because okay. if, you, if you know very little going in, that's an exciting place to start. I know as little as you could ever know going Amazing. in. Amazing. All right, let's just dive in. Great. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, we just finished. Yes. And? I, I don't even have a... I'm speechless. I really am. I've never... I was saying this to you halfway through, but I've never seen a film like that before. Yeah, and what do you mean by that? Like, can you contextualize that at all? Tone? Yeah. In the sense also that I truly couldn't figure out what the main storyline was. Right. For a long time. Um, And there... I mean, afterwards you can kind of pick it apart and put it in in chronological order because it's... for those who haven't seen Pulp Fiction, although this is a this is a very spoiler heavy podcast, I don't feel like you have to not say anything. Okay. Okay. And I think there's very few people that haven't seen it yes. that are uh, of a certain age. Uh, but yeah, the movie is uh, four stories, I think. Yeah. That are uh, told out of order, but then the final story kind of brings them all together. Yeah. Or at least ties it all together. Yeah. By the end of it. Uh, so yeah, so the, the main storyline there really isn't one. No. That's I think that was the what was the most shocking about it was that there wasn't we weren't following one person through the whole film and seeing it through their eyes. I think that's what it was is the perspective kept switching. Yeah. And at times was super disorienting because of that. I've never been disoriented watching a film. That's kind of cool. Yeah, because well, you I think we're also what's really great about this movie is I think especially we're, we're so attuned to traditional storytelling and that it's like, this is how a story is told. Mm-hmm. And you kind of are watching, like, I'm at this point in the movie where it's like, this is the middle where this is going on and this is how the characters are feeling. Where this movie, you literally don't really have a barrier for that. Yeah. You know, you don't know where it's going, mm-hmm. what's going to happen. It's kind of a series of really well-written, quirky, funny scenes. Not even quirky, but, you know... Good dialogue, yeah. Uh, fun performances, but you don't know where things are gonna go. No. Even what I was, I was wondering, and it was interesting because I haven't watched this in I don't know at least five years, probably longer now. So it was, it was especially fun rewatching it with somebody who hadn't seen it before because it was forced me to sit there and wondering. I wonder if she figured, she knows we're in the same diner as the opening. Yeah. You know that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. At, at what point did you realize it was the same diner as the opening? I realized pretty early on because of the seats. Only because of the color of the seats. Yeah. But then did you forget by the time it came back around? Yeah. Oh, 100%. That's what's kind of the magic of the movie is that, yeah, I think the first time I saw it, as soon as I was in there, I was like, oh, I think that's the same diner as the, the beginning. Yeah. But then the nature of the conversation, what's going on, yeah. the movie tricks you into forgetting and then pulls you back and you're like, oh, fuck. 
Yeah. And then you remember, oh shit, they're about to rob this place. Yeah. What is gonna, you know? Yeah, and and even the one uh, in the, what's the guy? He's in the bathroom, and they flash back to before the three of them are killed, or two, I guess. Mm-hmm. In when he says the Lord's prayer yeah. and everything, and then they flash back to him in the bathroom, and for that split second, you think this could. I thought, anyways, this could be a whole new storyline. Right. But then But then you start hearing Samuel Jackson say the say, Bible verse and you yeah. realize, "Oh, I've heard that before." Yeah. Yeah. But it could be, but you're right. It's interesting cuz that could just be cuz I think you got the sense when he was doing that that that's part of his shtick. He does mm-hmm. that whenever he kills someone. So that could have easily have been just another kill. Yeah. And you don't know that it's like, "Oh, interesting." Yeah. Yeah, that's where where mine mine went. There's a mistake in the movie. Um, where before that guy comes out of the bathroom and shoots them, the uh-huh. wall behind them already has bullet holes in them. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. And I don't, and I, I assume it's a mistake. I don't know why they never went back and digitally. Yeah. I guess that was that era of filmmaking. You didn't do that. Yeah. I definitely um, didn't catch it. Yeah. Or actually I thought that even if I had seen it, I would have thought that was from the crossfire. But there was no crossfire. Yeah. Oh, and when Vincent would... When they were killing the guy at the table. Right. They were just both Amy and him. There would have been no crossfire. That's true. I know what you're saying. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, what else? Uh, the, the specific shots they used were so interesting. That was another thing about the film. Of I remember there was that one shot where they were... It was kind of from high up. And they were all the way in the left-hand corner. And it was so interesting to watch... Like, physically having to look at a different end of the screen and not the whole screen to watch them. When they're walking through the lobby at the beginning? Yeah. And just holding there. And just really interesting ways of... Yeah, I've never seen that before. Well, the pace is, too. It's also, it's like, this is a movie, you know, it's it's close to two and a half hours, if not a little bit over two and a half hours. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and it's the kind of movie where normally in any other movie you would cut half the stuff out. Right. Because um, you, you would argue that it's like, well, why do you need to hear, have a three-minute scene of them walking through this apartment building talking about this guy that was thrown off a cliff? Mm-hmm. Or uh, thrown out of a, a sorry, a balcony uh, for touching somebody's wife's feet. Yeah. But then that's really, I mean, but that whole thing... It's, I mean, first of all, you're you're revealing character, you're revealing all this kind of stuff about these people. Yeah. But you're also setting up uh, that story for when he takes her out on a date. You yes. Know? Yeah. It's doing that. Even little things. Something I didn't catch. I don't think I've caught before. There's a little throwaway thing when Vincent's buying the heroin, and uh, um, Eric Stoltz's character, the drug dealer. Mm-hmm. Um, not Jimmy, that's Tarantino's character. Anyway, uh, Vince or Vance or something? Yeah, Vince. Uh, he uh, says he's out of balloons, which is normally what you put heroin in. Right. So he gets baggies, which is why she thinks it's cocaine. Oh. And I never thought about that before. Yeah, because you, know? you wouldn't, if it was in a balloon, she wouldn't have... I assume so. I think yeah. typically you put heroin in balloons. Interesting. So which is why she probably assumed it was cocaine, which is why she snorted it, which would be very bad if it was heroin. Yeah. Huh. That's very interesting. But it's such a throwaway little small thing. Yeah. That that that's just kind of in that scene. But there's a purpose for everything for sure. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Like the more I, I thought about it now, because I had like I said I haven't watched it in a long time. 
And I think every other time I watched it, I just got caught up in it. But this time I kind of watched it to study it in yeah. terms of setups and payoffs. And all that stuff that's in there that feels kind of tertiary yeah. really, really is setting something up or paying something off later on. Yeah. You know, even like the, the, the big giant gold watch speech. Yeah. And then what's amazing is the, the, the instant that he knows it's gone, you know he has to go get it. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, and I mean, what I found interesting, though, was the... Between uh, John Travolta's Jimmy yeah, and what's her name? The wife. Oh, uh, Fabian? Um, no, uh, John Travolta, oh, Uma. Uh, Mia, Mia Wallace. Yeah, Mia. The, that, I was expecting that to come back in some way. For him to make a mistake with her, um, for something to happen between them. I was waiting for something to come back later with oh, that. Oh, right. For that they slipped up, that uh, he found out about the overdose. Yeah, or even that they that they had a thing together. Like, I was waiting for something like that. Oh, I think once that overdose happened, it just killed, it's just, it, it just killed the mood of whatever that was going to be. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That was one, though, that one storyline with her in it that I thought was going to come back. Yeah, because really, we just get a glimpse of her again later. When, uh, in, in the gold watch in the boxing story where she's just there and she says, I never thanked you for the other night. Yeah. Uh, but that's, the, but that's just their faking pleasantries in front of, mm-hmm. uh, Marcellus. And then you, you get a glimpse of her at the very, very end, uh, having breakfast by the pool. Yeah. 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 With the uh, pool cap on. Yeah. As, as the kept wife. Yes. Um, and Uma Thurman is, and this is a, a, another, Movie, a role where I think this is the breakthrough role for her as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what a what a fantastic, interesting character. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And really, and the way he reveals characters is really interesting. Her, it's like we're just it's all just close ups of her lips and then yes. her feet, the back of her head. Like Marcellus is in the movie. Like it's not until you know we see Marcellus for the fourth or fifth time that we see his face. Yeah. And so really, the first time you see his face. Is when right before Bruce Willis hits him hits with the him. car. Yeah, that he doesn't have sunglasses on, and like that's the first time. Yeah, yeah. No, the way he does that, especially with her too, and just there was something about her character, Uma's character, of having just met this guy, and dance like wanting to dance. That's what I thought was so. How many people would, you know, the first time you meet someone, just do that. And I think that's, I don't know, it was just a very, it was a very interesting character. And it was interesting watching it now, too, um, going, she, because her character is such that typical L.A. actor. Yeah. Where she would be that outgoing and just want to dance. Yeah. Or or have the pilot story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you were laughing during the pilot stuff. I love that. And the joke that she finally tells about the ketchup, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's just a cute little detail. That, um... The restaurant they go to, Jackrabbit Slims, mm-hmm. is a set that they built. Just really? For the movie. It's incredible. It's ama- the amount of detail that's yeah. in that and just all the different, you know, all the different characters or caricatures of, of you know, 50s, 60s icons. The yeah. guy that plays, um, is it Ed Sullivan? is pretty amazing. He's like the oh. maitre d'. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. No, she was, I was, the whole time I was watching... 
from a different perspective, I think of, I always watch movies to think, what scenes, if I could do them as an actor, what would I want to pull out and try and pull yeah. off? And? And hers, definitely, in the, what, what was it, Slims? Slims, yeah. Slims. That whole... The car, the, the date scene, like, in, in, yeah. the, in the booth? Because it's so interesting, because, of course she knows the effect she's having on him, and she's probably used to it, but there's such, there's such an ease of... She's so comfortable, but at the same time, there's something that... I don't know how to describe it. There was something that she wasn't always the alpha in the situation yeah. with him. And that's kind of what made it... I don't know. There was an innocence... I, I don't know how to describe There's it. There's a weird was, magic so, to that whole yeah, sequence with them. Yeah. Where, uh, yeah, because by the end of it, you really do want something to happen with them. Yeah. To the point where you wanted it to come back. I wanted you know? it to come back. Uh... Yeah, cause, and that's where you, and that's what's kind of the magic of the movie too. Is you're expecting it to go that way, mm-hmm. and then the overdose kicks in, and yeah. it becomes something else entirely. Yeah, which is kind of uh, the formula of the entire movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going one way, and then something happens. Yeah. You know, in each storyline, that same thing happens. It happens in the Golden Watch, where all of a sudden, you know, they're they're doing the typical thing where the the get you know the gangsters tra- tracking him down, the mm-hmm. guy that screwed him over. And then all of a sudden, they're kidnapped by rapists. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> Which you're not expecting. Not in a million years would have seen that coming. Yeah. And same as, like, into you're not expecting the overdose. Yeah. You're not expecting uh, John Travolta in the middle of a conversation with this guy to blow his head off in the back of the car. Yeah. And yeah. now they have to deal with that. Yeah. You know? And, and, the, and it doesn't happen until... It happens in two parts. But the, the couple that decides to, to break in, to, to rob the diner, is not expecting there to be two hitmen in the diner at the time. Yes, exactly. You know, so each one of those stories has, it, it, it's leading you down these tropes. Yeah. And then it, it totally throws it on its head. Well, it's crazy, too, because even that first scene with the couple in the diner, it, again, me not knowing anything about this film... I was like, okay, this must be setting up the main storyline. Yeah. And it's like the one that, at until the very end, I was like, where did that... It was, seemed insignificant. And maybe it's not going to come back at all. Yeah. You know, maybe it was just a little palette Or just like, yeah, this thing. is kind of the tone of what we're going for, and then here goes the rest of the movie. Yeah. But, yeah, and I really enjoyed... Um, I still don't know his character's name. The Samuel... Oh, um, his Jules, 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 his whole thing of like divine intervention. I love the, I love that theme that came back. Yeah. And talking about that and how we often don't see that side of those characters. Well, even just the conversations they're having. Yeah. Like they're just talking about regular shit. Yeah. While they're doing all these things. Yeah. That's, but that's probably how that is in that world. Yeah, you totally. Know, those, they're, they're regular human beings. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're not these cliched characters. No. Um, and even, uh, you you laughed, and I didn't want to say, I, didn't, I I stopped myself from saying something, but when they jump ahead, because after we see them gun down that guy in the apartment, the next time we see Jules and Vincent, uh, they're in the t-shirt and shorts already, yeah. and you thought that was hilarious, and I <laughs> wanted to be like, you'll find out later why that happened, but I decided not to. I'm so glad you did. Uh, because it is such a weird, jarring thing yeah. to see these guys suddenly in these weird clothes for them. Well, what went through my mind when I saw that the first time was, 
oh, this is, I kind of like them even more now because they're quirky and, like, it looks like they've just dropped this whole, like, attire and they've become these sports guys now. And, and I thought it was... This is what they wear when they're not yeah. in their uniform? Yeah. <laughs> this is, like, their after-work attire. They've done their job and they could relax now. Hilarious. Yeah. 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 And then it comes back, but... Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, and you comment on the music when we were watching it. Such a good score. And he's, and Tarantino, uh, often, he has a, a massive record collection, and so he'll usually write cues right into the script, mm. and, uh, although I don't know how you do it these days. You can't do it on, on a budget of this film these days. No. You, music is so expensive. Yeah, that's, well, that was the only thing I was thinking, was how did he get all these songs? <laughs> But I, I think guess it was different back then. It was slightly... Yeah, this is now 23 years ago, this movie. God, mm-hmm. it's crazy. This movie is almost 25 years old. Yeah. Um, so it was it was not as difficult or expensive to get music as it is these days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's just something you would... Or uh, But I'm sure for him, too, music was was so crucial that he, uh, he just worked into the budget. Yeah, I bet. Because yeah. this at the time, 94, was an $8 million film. Wow. Was the uh, the budget for it. Okay. Uh, which is probably equivalent to like a $20 million film now. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's not super expensive, really. It's outside the music building, Jackrabbit Slims. The rest of it's probably all all found locations. Yeah. That's like the one thing he he wanted that was really special, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and there's, like, there's a couple little stunt things, but nothing too insane. I am looking back on some of the scenes, and I could be remembering this wrong, but I, I liked that he didn't put in a lot of that like filler tension music. There's no score in the entire movie. Right. Okay. That's it's, what it's I was only, trying to remember. It's only soundtrack. Yeah, and I like that because when he uses music, it's because it needs to be that song, and none of this like background stuff. Sometimes that can really work, but I feel yeah. like this already had enough kind of. I don't know, it didn't need more tone added to it. No, it's a very different kind of movie in that regard that, that doesn't use scores. It's interesting, I'm just in post on, on my new film right now, mm. and I'm using way more score than I've ever used, mm. and I'm very aware of that, and, yeah. I, and I try not using it, but then I just end up keeping on throwing yeah, it yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. But I'll probably pull back in the end, because I was thinking about that before we watched this movie, how this movie has no score. And for the most part, he doesn't really use score in most of his movies. Mm. Uh, he's starting to now later on, um, in, in the back half of his catalog, but he doesn't, but he was really, really famous for these big giant epic soundtracks. Right. Yeah. It's incredible. What did you think the first time you watched this film? I think, so the first time I watched this film was on like VHS in, so it came out in 94. Uh, it was nominated for best picture too. Really? Do you know what it lost to? Who? Forrest Gump. Really? Yeah. Wow. Huh. Because it was such a, a bizarre, different movie. Like, like you yeah. said, there's nothing quite like this. You can't compare it to anything, yeah. And, and it really did... I'll get back to my, my initial thoughts when I first watched it, if I can remember them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, like, just inspired... Like you said, there's no movie quite like this. Mm-hmm. But what happened after this was this inspired a lot of really bad rip-off versions of this yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and some good things. Some some interesting things. There's a movie Doug Liman made called Go that Sarah mm-hmm. Pauly was in. Okay. Uh, that's, that was very, very in the vein of this. Right. Uh, probably wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for this movie. Right. Well, it almost seems like the 
birth to of films, even huge things, silly things like Deadpool, like that tone mm. of, do you know that, what I mean? Not at all like it, yeah, but yeah, yeah. going in that direction of this is, I don't know. It's just a different, yeah. It feels like that's where it could have started from anyways. If that film hadn't existed, then maybe these kinds of films wouldn't be so. Yeah, they're paving the way. Yeah, yeah. And, and this is a lot of, I think, also, um, if you look at a lot of the foreign films of uh, that Tarantino would have grown up with, um, they they definitely played with form a lot more and not going with, with typical structure. Mm. Like I think Tarantino would have been influenced by Godard and like Kurosawa and filmmakers like that mm. that um, definitely don't feel like they, they have to fit like a, a, a structural narrative. Yeah. Or a typical structural narrative. Like if you look at it, like each of those stories has beginning, middles, and ends, and whatnot. Yeah. But it's just he puts the beginning, middle, and end in different places. Yeah. In terms of the overall overall structure, because you know the last scene of the of the movie is really probably a quarter way through the story. Mm. You know, the yeah. actual end of the movie. I think if you go in chronological order of all the events, yeah, is Butch driving away on the motorcycle. Right. I think it's the last thing that happens. Yeah. Because Vincent's dead at that point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Vin. And that's... Um, yeah. I know. I, I was like, that can't... No. That can't happen. <laughs> did that shock the hell out of yes, you? Yes, it did. I thought he was going to be taking us through to the end, which he did in yeah. a way. But... Um, oh, you're, I was so happy that he came back. Yeah. Um, the first time I saw him. I remember that feeling. Like, oh, good. John Travolta's still alive. Yeah. But he's not. We're just flashing back. Well, another thing that I liked, speaking of... Butch taking off on the motorcycle was how that was kind of the only like bit of love in it. Oh, those two, yeah. Those two, and it felt like as odd and crazy and fucked up as it was, like it it was very sweet. And I liked that they somehow captured that in all of this. It really struck me how this is probably one of Bruce Willis's best performances. Mm. Just in that he's playing this really interesting character that. He's kind of this weird, evolved, macho male guy mm-hmm. who keeps on having these moments where you think he's going to be abusive towards his girlfriend, but then he pulls himself back and he stops himself. Yeah. And it's really fascinating yeah. um, to see that. Because he is a boxer. He's a brute. Mm-hmm. You know, but he has, that, again, he has that other side to him where he's like, no, I'm trying to be better than that. Yeah. Like, especially when that moment when he threw the TV and he sits down and he goes... You know, and it's not your fault. I know I it's not your yeah, fault. I didn't tell you how important the watch was. Yeah. Uh, and even after that, I was like, oh, he's going to turn on her again. He's going to he's gonna turn on her. Or he wasn't meaning that as genuinely as he was. He gets mad in the car, but that's just him blowing off steam. Yeah, but I thought that was really interesting, too. Yeah, but it's, but it's great because you had that great monologue by Christopher Walken setting up the watch. Mm-hmm. So you know what he's going through. Mm-hmm. And what's really great is it tells the story. Because you know, every, every one of the people in his family that have had that watch had to go through hell to get it. Yeah. And so this is his hell yeah. to get that watch, right? And that's yeah. A, but it's like, is this the story he's going to tell his kid <laughs> on how the watch came to him? Right, right. Yeah. Um, huh. Uh, but yeah, and then just to talk to them at that final moment again about when I remember first watching it when... Uh, Bruce Willis picks up that gun mm. and then you hear the toilet flush and then it's Vincent Vega in the doorway and you're just watching going is there any but what's beautiful at that point too is now 
you're you're in Butch's story. Yeah. So you want him to win. Yeah. But then you see Vince and you're like, oh fuck, I want him to win too. That's yeah. oh, uh, but he's yeah. he's fucked. Yeah. Is, it how, is there a way in which they both get out of this scene alive? Huh. Um, which, in a way, kind of then repeats itself after the rapist guys, where they, both of them, did walk out. I don't know the other guy's name. Marcel. Mm-hmm. Mar- whatever his name is. Marcellus, yeah. Marcellus. Where they, they were both in different storylines as well, technically, and they we're going to kill each other, and they did get to both walk out. Yeah. I mean, you can trace it back. There's, um... What, do you want to talk about the briefcase? Yeah. What's in the briefcase? What's in the briefcase? That's brilliant, too. That we never know what's in the briefcase. So there's one of the prevailing theories about the briefcase. Yeah. And if you if you look up interviews with Tarantino asking him what's in the briefcase, his yeah. answer is a light. Uh, because that's what they use to make it glow. Yeah. You know, he, 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 I don't, to my knowledge, he has never given a actual answer. Yeah. But some people have been really anal about going through the movie and finding the clues and putting it together. Mm. And the prevailing theory is that what's in the briefcase is Marcellus Wallace's soul. Huh. And they're going to get it back. These, these three guys in the apartment are somehow in league with the devil Okay. Uh, and they've taken Marcellus Wallace's soul. Yeah. And so they've gone to get it back. And that's why there's the, there's a band-aid in the back of his neck is because somewhere in the Bible there's a reference to when your soul leaves your body, it's through the, it's through the, the back of your neck. Oh, interesting. And so that's what they say the band-aid is meant to represent. Yeah. Um, and and the reason why the divine intervention happens and why they're saved when they when they go to when they're when they're shot at yeah. is because they were saving a soul. Huh. And so that's why they were spared in that moment. Huh. Um, and then later, and so Jules goes on and leaves. You know, we never see him again. Yeah. Uh, after that story, even when when um, they're they're walking through the, the alley, the the gutters of kind of the the boxing ring, you see Vincent with um, the bartender guy. Right. So now Jules is gone. Right. right. In the story, uh, but Vincent stays. He stays in the life, and he ends up dead because of it. Yeah. You know. So it's the the religious stuff. Mm. All there's a lot of theories that tie to the religious aspects of it, mm-hmm. of explaining the briefcase and all these other things. Again, that's just theories that nerds and fans have put like together. That. Yeah. But that's the prevailing one that wow. uh, that I always read and kind of thought made sense to me. It does make sense, and also I like too the guy in the restaurant, the robber. He opens it, he looks, and he goes, oh, that... Does he say something like, oh, that's nice? He says, is that what I think it is? He's like, yeah, it's fucking beautiful. Yeah. Or something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, and you can also argue that it's like he thinks it's beautiful because the, all these people have lost their souls mm. to some, in, you know, to the life they've chosen. Yeah. And so seeing the purity of someone's soul uh, is enough to take them back. Yeah. Huh. I love that. Anyway, that's just a theory that... Has floated around. No, I like that exists. a lot. Yeah, and I want to see another movie with Jules. Now I want to know what he goes <laughs> off and does. I think they 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 talked about it for a long time afterwards about making a movie about about Jules later, but we have never seen him return. There was talk for a long time. There's a character in Tarantino's first movie, Reservoir Dogs, mm-hmm. the one that was just before this called um, Vic Vega. Yeah. Who is brothers with Vincent Vega? 
Although huh? they're never in the same movie together. Oh. And there was always a rumor that they were, he was going to make a Vega Brothers movie. Yeah. But it never happened. And I doubt it would happen at this point. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Uh, but there are a lot of, there are, if you watch, especially the earlier ones, mm-hmm. um, you can kind of draw a line and see how he connects some characters from previous movies and, and mm-hmm. this and that. And you can, and there's even, I think, in... Um, one of, one of the... I don't know if it's Christopher Waltz's character. I think he, they call him Colonel Coots or something. Okay. Um, I believe one of the guys in Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. which is his Tarantino's World War II um, yeah. movie. Yeah. Is, is There's a Coots in there, I think. I can't huh. remember. I have to look it up. Huh. But there are... He does try to draw a line between his his projects and that's interesting I don't know I've never heard of that where you kind of map all the stories you tell at some point I think it's just more little easter eggs sure, than anything sure. yeah um, but what a cool way also to like one story is never quite finished yeah. Kevin Smith does that a lot Kevin Smith okay. has reoccurring characters that they, that are talked about okay on uh, okay. tertiary yeah and other things huh um, but yeah it's just a fun little easter egg thing that yeah that he does as well huh have you ever done that? Yes, I absolutely have done something like uh, the. In fact, the uh, the Christine Horn. I've never. I don't think I've ever talked about this. Okay. Um, it's a little running joke that Christine Horn and I have. Yeah. Is that maybe with the exception of my my last one, The Go Getters, that she plays the same character in all of the movies. Okay. Uh, she does. She plays this character called Ellie that we put in different roles. In one movie, she's like a reporter. Another one, she's a book publisher. Oh, that's amazing. And then another one, she's some kind of a lawyer who is into kinky sex. <laughs> uh, but she's playing literally, and if you watch it, you can be like, oh, she's playing that same character. Oh, interesting. But in our, our theory, we, we're like, she just has had a lot of different careers. Yes. This yeah. woman. So, <laughs> yeah, so that for sure exists. Yeah. That, um, and in the, in, um, so in my first film, The Untitled Work of Paul Chappard, Christine Horn played this character named Sadie, who was a poet. Mm-hmm. And like a, kind of like a, an angry post-feminist poet mm-hmm. named Sadie. And in How to Plan an Orgy, she played a book publisher. Uh, and we used the same publishing company <laughs> from that book. But not only that, at one point, Christine is putting a manuscript into her bag. Okay. And it's a new book by Sadie. Oh my gosh. So there's that little Easter that's egg brilliant. that's hidden in there. But also we play with the idea that Sadie has become this book publisher and shed this idea of who she used to be, <laughs> but she's still writing Yeah. as Sadie. Yeah. Even though now she's moved on and now she's the pu- the publisher. Cool. So that's that, that's that. how I've done that little thing yeah. in mind. But I haven't used, uh, and that character's name is Ellie, but I haven't used Ellie in a while. Ellie's got to come back. Ellie's got to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh, Christine great. played uh, like a crack whore in Go Getters, which we oh, argued could have been Ellie. Could have been Ellie. Could have been Ellie at one point. She fell she on hard tried times. One too many careers. Yeah. And she was just done. Maybe maybe this is before. Maybe this is before she oh, cleaned herself up. We don't a know. Flashback. It could either be the beginning of Ellie, and then she cleaned herself up. Or the fall. Or the fall. Yeah. Yeah. And now we just need a redemption story. No, Ellie's she's got to she's got to play at least thirty more parts. In different things. And then we'll just do a big Ellie movie. Great. Where you, just where, Ellie. Where, where we explain 
<laughs> why she was in all these different places and with these different people all the way through. I like that. It'd be the most meta movie ever, and really just for Christine and I. Yes, yeah. <laughs> no one else would get it. No one else would get it. No. Uh, yeah, but it would be fun for but us. But it would probably also be named, like, Best Experimental Film. Because <laughs> no one would, would know what would happening, so they just... To connect all these different things together. They would just say, wow, this piece of art is so... Good. It's so bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what else? Is, is there anything else that... Uh, so what, what, what did I think when I first yeah. saw it? I remember, so I'm a teenager, and I'm just really getting into film and stuff. I don't remember. I just remember it kind of blew my mind, and I, and it was at that age. I don't know if you were like this as a teenager, mm. but when I came across something I loved, mm. I would just watch it over and over and over again. Yep. And so I probably wore out my VHS tape yeah. of this. Yeah. And then... Uh, and this was right around the same time that Kevin Smith... Was was coming onto the scene, so it was between Tarantino and Kevin Smith were my two teenage uh, obsessions. Um, and then yeah, and then by the time I got to film school, you know, everyone I knew was obsessed with this movie. Yeah, and we had it memorized and and, and had watched it a million times, and yeah. everyone was trying to copy it in weird ways. Right. I remember like that was the era when everyone was just trying to tell. A cool gangster story, right, right. Uh, with what they thought was great dialogue. Yeah, um, which questionable, the questionable, but also just not understanding like the intent. Uh, yeah, it, it's interesting watching too. The you comment on it. There's a great shot uh, when you first meet Bruce Willis's character, where Marcellus Wallace is, is you know, t- talking him into basically taking a fall. Yeah. in his fight, and it just holds on Bruce Willis the entire time. Yeah, and. You know, that's pretty rare to do that. And it's, it's such a bold choice, but it's a specific choice mm-hmm. that you do to really get into, to really just, where do we want our focus to be? Yes. And that's what I really love about the filmmaking in this is that, you know, Tarantino knows where the camera should be at every moment. Like, he knows who we should be focusing on, what we don't need to focus on. Mm-hmm. You know, we just need to focus on Bruce Willis's face and really pay attention to that. Yeah. And what he's going on, as opposed to doing the traditional thing where we'd see both people, mm-hmm. see the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's not worried about that. No, and it also added the element of me going, okay, but who is this guy that's talking to him? The whole time, I was like, it, it's, it was important to see Bruce Willis's character take all that, but also added that element of, who is this guy? Mystery. I don't know who this guy is, and would they just turn around so I can see this guy? Was it and driving they, you nuts? Yeah, and they never did. And, like, that's so cool. You just eventually got to see the back of his head. Yeah. Just enough that you, but it was great and smart about the casting of being Rames in that role, is he's got a very distinct voice. Mm-hmm. And he's got a very distinct look. Yeah. So when we see him again on the street in profile with a box of donuts, we're still going to recognize him. Yes. You know, because he looks different than anybody else in the movie. Yeah. And sounds different. Yeah. But it is, it is a very... And that's what was really great about this movie. And I think what was really great about early Tarantino was just how bold he was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He was really... His early films in particular... He really took all these things he learned from, you know, the people that... And he's also just a giant film nerd, right? Mm. He's an encyclopedia knowledge of film. And so, you know, in in particular his earlier works, he was really finding unique ways of taking all this stuff he loved from the films that that he'd seen Mm -hmm. uh, and making it work within his stories. Mm. But then what I found is as he's gone along in his career, 
he's just really become this kind of mashup artist of taking genre films and just really kind of throwing them on their head with his own style. Yeah. And they're still great and very entertaining. Yeah. But I find that there was this real, real beautiful originality and emotion to the storytelling mm. in his first three films that he kind of got away from and never found his way back to. Right. Um, because you think there are... He is so full of knowledge of all these different types of films. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure where it happened, but I think he just started to get more interested in, in, in telling genre films or certain types of films. Not by genre, but I think it's more... Like, like the idea that it's like... I want to make my western, so he makes Django Unchained. Yeah. Uh, I want to make a World War II movie, so he makes Inglorious Bastards. Right. You know? Right. I want to make um, a spaghetti western, which is kind of what Kill Bill is. This yeah. giant samurai. Right. Thing. He just starts t- making going. I want to make. I want to check these things off. Yeah. Now this is kind of what I feel like he's been doing. Although he's got a new movie he's in production on called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. Which is. The backdrop to that story is the uh, Shannon Tate murder oh. uh, and uh, all that kind of stuff huh. from the 70s. So I feel like there's something that's reminiscent of his earlier films that might be coming with that that's getting me really excited. Yeah. Um, that to be said, his films are like glor- glorious to watch. They're so much fun. Sure. They sound great. You yeah. know, if you like Pulp Fiction for those reasons, yeah. you won't be disappointed by... By the fall, by anything that comes out after. Yeah. Um, but I think, in terms of watching something, as that's really really revolutionary in terms of tone and and structure and and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Like Pulp Fiction is kind of his peak in some ways. Right. Uh, and he peaked early. Although that, I mean that's just my opinion. Yeah. Um, you know I think again I, I'm not trying to shit on Tarantino. I think no, no. He's you know he's a cult cult figure yeah uh, but for me is I really found that you know this film in particular was just so mind-blowing mm. uh, especially for me as a young filmmaker that he never kind of he, he hasn't topped it in some ways yeah and that'd be so hard to do oh it is. that's the I other could, thing it's like I could totally see why and also I don't I mean I have no idea who this guy is in person but for me anyways there would probably be a lot of when I tried to make another film like it, doubt as to even... You know when someone starts out and they kind of effortlessly do something and they don't quite realize what they're doing? Yeah. And then people are like, oh, that thing you do. Do more oh, of that. You do up. more of that. And then, yeah, and then you kind of lose your own sense of... I can't imagine coming off of something like Pulp Fiction being expected to make something else. I yeah. mean, the next one we made after this was called Jackie Brown, which is an adaptation of an Elmer Leonard novel. Mm. And it's... Probably his most mature film hmm. in 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 a lot of ways, and it's and it's kind of a perfect follow up to to Pulp Fiction because it's it's a very different film, although it's still in the crime yeah. genre. Like all of his films, kind of have the guns and the, yeah. and the great dialogue and that kind of stuff. Uh, but I know that feeling. I know, like after I made Sex After Kids, um, I hesitated making making Orgy because it was another sex comedy, and I right. didn't want to become just the sex comedy person. Right. Uh, but that's the movie I had in my head, and I, I was already writing it. Yeah. And so I did it, but then I I made a very conscious effort to not do another sex comedy after that, because yeah. then for sure that's all I that's would be. That's the guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, and but even then, it's like it's so interesting coming off of that because you have you have success with something, and I'm sure you find this as an actor too. Mm. And so, you know, you you go and you do that thing, and it works really well. And so there's this instinct that. I don't know you have as an artist to go. Well, I thought I could just do that again, and that was successful, and that was good, and people like that. Yeah. Uh, and so, as you start doing something, you realize. I find like as I'm editing this new movie, I find it has a very different pace mm. and tone than anything else I've worked on. Especially my last one, Go Getters, was just so breakneck. Yeah. Uh, and this one's much more labored and, and takes its time with things. Mm. And I sit there going, "Oh fuck, is my movie too slow?" Mm. But then I go, "Well, wh- then I watch this." And yeah. this is not a fast movie, no. but it's got energy to it. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's interesting. But it's it's funny. But it, but I think it is important to. I think if you're making new art and you're not questioning it and you're not scared of it, you're not doing anything new. No, definitely not. I feel like, yeah, the times I'm most scared and I don't know, like that's where things are, essentially born out of. But if you don't say, I don't know first, like I don't, I have no idea what this is. And just saying that instead of closing yourself off to one answer that you're used to, then no other answers can get in. I don't know. That's kind of convoluted. but No, no. I, I know exactly what you mean. The I, One of the most empowering things I think you can do as an artist is say, I don't know. I don't know. Because that, like you said, that opens you up. Yeah. Because now you can go, oh, there's possibilities as yeah. opposed to trying to pretend you know what you're doing. Yeah. Or like ask a question. Okay. What? This is what I don't know. Why? Blah, blah, blah. And then throw it away, keep working, and then at least your brain on some level knows that it's looking for other things to resolve that versus just pinning down, okay, I don't want to not know, so let's go with this. And it's probably... Or make up something. Yeah, or make... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially as a director, um, people think that you need to have the answer to everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's nice to, it's nice to have an opinion. I think you would need an opinion no matter what. Sure. But it's like, I'm, I'm very empowered by saying, I'm not sure. What do you think? Yeah. And also knowing that, you know, as a director, I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by a great team of other people that can help you come up with solutions. Yeah. And it's really great to empower them and be like, what are you thinking? Yeah. You know, and, and and if a scene's not working, to get in there and collaborate with the actors and go, you know what, something's not working. Mm-hmm. I don't have the perfect answer mm-hmm. to tell you what I think you should do with your performance. Yeah. But let's acknowledge that it's not working, and then maybe we can come with something together. Yeah. As opposed to, I think a lot of young directors in particular really think that they have to just have an answer, so they make up something, mm-hmm. and then everyone around them knows that they're just they don't know what they're talking making about. something up. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but they're terrified of admitting that. They're kind of not sure. Yeah. And, and yeah, like you said, people know when someone isn't sure, even if they're putting on Airs. the act that yeah. they are. And I trust someone way more that's like, yep, I have no idea, or I fucked that up. I don't know. I trust them way more than someone who's... Well, trust is the most important thing. It's like, yeah. That's the currency you have. It lets the actors know when things aren't going well mm-hmm. on set or, or something doesn't make sense. And if, you're, if you just try to, you know, false bravado... It just comes off as worse. Yeah. You know? Well, like you said, it's like, I find, like, if you go to an actor or or whoever, your DP or whatever it is that the problem is going in, and say, hey, look, here's the situation. Mm-hmm. I know we planned to do this scene, and we wanted to take four hours to do it. We have an hour left. Yeah. You know? So as opposed to me pretending that I have this new great idea to do it in a one Yeah. Like, let's just say, look, we have to do it as a one Yeah. Probably. So let's all work together and figure out what's the best way to do that. Yeah. And so now, as opposed to me trying to pretend that this was my plan all along, 
even though you all knew it wasn't. Yeah. You know, now we're all working together. Yeah. As opposed to me making you think that this is my great idea. Like, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> this is it, guys. No, exactly. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So what do you take away from this, watching a movie like this? What do you leave, leave with it? In terms of, like, thinking about your own stuff. Because you're a writer as well. Yeah. I mostly would take away how a story can still be so well structured without a seeming structure. Mm-hmm. And again, that's super vague, but I think I still need some time to even figure out why certain things worked well. Because if someone tried to do do that, which, like you said, there have been a lot of bad versions of it, it might not work. And I think, too, on a more specific level with the dialogue of having such seemingly random things they're talking about but all tie in together that was really cool um and just I don't know this very strange combination of humor and violence yeah that's 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 definitely one of Tarantino's signature yeah of that's I don't know if that's something that I take away in terms of my own work but as a phenomenon I haven't seen before yeah, and that's what he's mostly known. I'm not no, I shouldn't say mostly known for, but that's what I think I really appreciate of his work more, yeah. most. Like, like there's that scene. I don't, I don't know if you were, but the the funniest scene in the movie for me is that scene when Marcellus and Butch are tied up with ball gags in their mouth. Yeah, and the guy leaves the room. They're looking at each other like, what? The? Like two, like five minutes ago, they were trying to kill each other. Yeah, and now they're suddenly became comrades. Yes, they're looking at each other like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah. No, it's... And and also, too, the whole, like... You know, these things that come out of nowhere. Like, like the rape. What was the first one that happened? That... The the overdose. The overdose, yeah. That, on paper, those things seem... Seemingly, like, way too ridiculous. And then you get it in something where he clearly just fully committed to this. And... We all buy into it for this two and a half hours we're watching it. Um, I don't know. The level of commitment of these ideas and just like... Yeah. I did in my high school drama class, I did the uh, OD scene. Oh, really? I played the uh, the Eric Stoltz character. The oh, drug wow. The scene where they get, they give her the uh, the needle. Yeah. And they're running around. Wow. That's... that's it's a fun scene. It's, it's a great scene. A fun. I love, too, that one detail of... The other girl, Jan- what was the other girl's name? Janet, maybe? I don't know. Something like that. Judy and Julie Trudy. was his Trudy? wife. Trudy, Trudy. Trudy. <laughs> so Trudy. Because <laughs> of that moment before you get into it, it's like, who's the, what's the one with all the shit in her face? That's my wife. <laughs> I know, it's so good. Beautiful. It's so good. But, um, where Trude, Judy, Trudy, whatever, other girl, she was, her heart had just been restarted, all was good. And she's taking a hit of the bong. Like, she's just... Yeah, she's still getting high. Totally fine. But yeah. but actually, that's maybe one last thing I would say that I take away from is that as much as these characters were stereotypes, they didn't all follow... Okay, again, like the Bruce Willis character, he's not a super... He's not an asshole to his girlfriend all the time. Like, these, these stereotypes, even of gangsters talking about spiritual shit, you know... I like that it wasn't all 
we knew what these guys were. We've seen these characters before. Yeah, we know what these tropes are. Yeah, but they weren't... But you could never go, aha, uh-huh, I know what this is. I yeah. like that about it a lot. Yeah. Well, they never do... It never goes to the expected. Mm-hmm. You know? Even little... Uh, when we were talking about the OD scene, there's a little detail that I always loved um, that I think most other movies wouldn't do. There's a moment where he's like, I want a black magic marker or a felt fucking pen, mm-hmm. he says. Mm-hmm. And she brings him a red one. Yeah. And, and what I loved about that is like, it's like clearly she just grabbed the first thing she found, but that's such a specific d- detail because in any other movie, the production designer or the prop master would read, oh, mag- black, and make sure they had a black one. Yep. Where it's like, well, no, the, he asked for a black one. That doesn't mean it's available in the house. He's yes. asking for a random thing. That's so true. And so I just love that little weird throwaway detail yeah. that makes the world feel that much more authentic. Yeah, I hadn't even noticed that, but that's very anyway, that's cool. just a little nerdy thing no, that I, I always like thought about. It's like, why didn't... Because remember when I was a kid, I probably went, well, I th- well, they asked for a black one. Why did they bring in a red? Yeah. I was like, oh, because there was, wasn't a red one in the house. Yeah. Or a black one in the house. But as a filmmaker, I go, well, no, that would just be available. They would... Someone reading the script would be like, that's... Yeah. Unless, I wondered... I have the script somewhere. I wonder if in the script it's that detailed where it says it's a she red... She brings She a brings red. a red one. Yeah. That's interesting. We'll have to look that up. Look it up, yeah. Cool. Uh, great. Yeah. Well, if you, I mean, I are you sure you do you think you're going to check out other Tarantino oh, movies? Oh yeah, definitely. Well, what you'll do, what you will find structurally, like what he does do, um, that's fairly consistent in his movies, is this idea of of treating uh, movies like books mm. and and breaking them down into chapters. Okay. And so the chapters don't always go in order. Right. Uh, and sometimes they, you know, take you somewhere else completely. But that's definitely the one. Like the one thing that he's he's known very well for is that that novel novel structure. Yeah, I guess that's another thing we didn't even talk about is that I've never seen that before. The titles of each new storyline, kind of thing too, and even the the Bonnie the one that's the Bonnie, called situation. Bonnie situation. When I first saw that, I was like, oh. Bonnie, she's getting killed next. Like Aww. there was, I don't know. There's something about. But it's just the wife that we never really. We meet. never even met. No. Or I guess we. Oh, you, guess, you saw like a fantasy version of what of they her. thought would happen if she yeah. came home. But yeah. Who knows who's who that was in her in their head. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, cool chapters, books, love that. Yeah, the chapters he does a lot. Okay. Uh, is is definitely one of his main mainstay touchstones. Hmm. I'm trying to think of other people that do that. Uh, like definitely a lot of films after this experimented with that different order storytelling. Yeah. Yep. Um, the titles has been done before for sure. I think definitely a lot of European filmmakers have done stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, definitely like the, the early Europeans uh, played with this anti-structure form. Right. Um, but in terms of North American storytelling, yeah. definitely not so much. Yeah, no. Yeah. No. And the one subtitle, I think, was when Wolf came and it was telling how long he'd been driving, 9 minutes and 40, something like that. Yeah, because he said, it's 30 minutes away, I'll be there in In 10. (laughs) And it's like 9 something later, but that was the one subtitle they used. And the square, she draws that square. And the square, that's right. Because those are two things, too, where I'm like, that's a totally, that belongs in a totally different movie. But, no, it doesn't. Yeah. He used it. Yeah, and he plays with stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, throughout. Oh, well, I'm glad that I was able to, like, kind of unlock and, yeah. and bring you into the world of Tarantino. No, I'm really glad. I'm glad to have watched it. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for coming over. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Thanks for joining us for Pulp Fiction. If you like the show, please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word about it. You can find me on Twitter at Lon Jeremy and go to Facebook for Black Hole Films. Leave a review there or on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you listen to this thing. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.